This is 400 Plus. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Dr. Sarah L. Webb. Dr. Webb is an assistant professor in the Department of English and Modern Languages at the University of Illinois, Springfield. How are you, Dr. Sarah Webb? I'm doing great. How are you? We just did my other podcast, so I'm just I'm just tickled because it went so well. <laughs> but this podcast, 400 plus, of course, discussion of African American issues from an African American perspective. So, Dr. Sarah Webb, I I don't even go into the colorism thing. If you don't know what colorism is on this podcast, you you okay, you're out of the loop basically. So, <laughs> how does colorism? Because I saw your TED talk, which is phenomenal. It's a lot of stuff about mm-hmm. Dr. Webb on the on the internet. Look it up, Dr. Sarah L. Webb, colorism, and but how does colorism, Dr. Webb, affect African-Americans? So the particular effect of colorism on African-Americans has, well, I'll talk about it at three different levels. So I'll start with the personal level in terms of creating a sense of self-loathing, lower self-esteem for African-Americans, internalizing white supremacist notions or ideas of beauty and value and worth. Colorism is our reflection of, of the beauty standards set out by white supremacy, right? And so, you know, I was actually watching a YouTube video recently about an African-American mother telling her biracial daughter that she's lucky that she doesn't have, you know, hair like other African-Americans. And so, For African-Americans, colorism has made us devalue ourselves, particularly devalue the way we look, right? Because even if we're confident about our intellectual ability or confident about our athletic ability or artistic ability, African-Americans have had a history of being dissatisfied with our physical appearance, with our skin tone, our hair textures, and our features. But also colorism has created a lack of unity amongst Black people. And what I mean by that is that there have been instances where lighter skinned groups of African Americans have intentionally excluded darker skinned African Americans. We know the history around certain organizations and social clubs and neighborhoods and even schools that used the paper bag test to say, we want our membership to be lighter than a paper bag. Um, unless you have a lot of money and can give help us make a lot of money, right? Or if you're a star athlete, then we'll accept you at our school. And so that has created, that kind of pattern has created distrust amongst us, right? And so you hear lighter-skinned African-Americans saying that darker-skinned African-Americans don't trust them or don't accept them. And I think, you know, that's a remnant of that history where that wedge was inserted and it hasn't been rectified yet. Um, And I think on the systemic level, really important and not enough people, not enough African-Americans talk about the systemic level of colorism, which is that every inequality we talk about with regards to race in relationship to white America, there is a parallel inequality amongst African-Americans so that African-Americans with the lightest skin tones have the least wage gaps, have the smallest education gaps, have the smallest smallest marriage gaps, right? And the African-Americans with darker skin tones have the widest gaps in education and wages and employment and things like that. And so we see the same kinds of gaps and inequalities at the social level that we see with across races in comparison to white Americans or even Asian Americans, for example. 
But in our community, because you you know you know us as well as I do, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think because like we you know you know about the crime in Chicago and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but. We, other people don't really understand. Other Americans don't really understand our history. And guess what? We don't understand our own damn history. We say we do. Well, we, we, we really, really don't. Most of us don't even own our own narrative, meaning that your grand, your parents, your grandparents, where they come, how they come from Chicago, from the north to south. The point is that we have these issues. And I do think issues are really colorism is a part of it. White supremacy is a part of it. It's divide and conquer. We, we know sort of know this. Well, the older people like me know this. I didn't know this as a kid 40, 50 years ago. I didn't understand none of it. But how do we rectify this? I mean, I didn't, I'm shocked that even if the colorism goes on with younger African-Americans, I thought we sort of got over it. I'm, I'm in the Stone Age. I thought we were through with this, but it's still there. So how do we get over this, especially for the younger people, the succeeding generations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I also thought for a time, I said, certainly this can't still be a thing. But then I started teaching Um, high school about a decade ago, and I saw it happening to 15-year-olds. And so part of the reason why it still exists, Mark, is that we never talked about it. (laughs) There have not been conversations about colorism, like you and I are having a conversation about colorism. That wasn't happening in 1950. That wasn't happening in 1960. That wasn't happening in 1970. In 1980, 1990, people were not having conversations about colorism, and yet it existed. Yet we were perpetuating it, but nobody was talking about it as the problem that it really is. And so one thing that I see now that gives me hope is that we are raising our awareness about it. We are willing to say, no, this thing is happening to us and it's not right. We're at least willing to call it out. But I think going back to sort of that internalization piece, the one thing that everybody can do, the one thing that all African-Americans can do is to counteract the narrative that Black is ugly counteract the narrative that Black is inherently lazy or inherently less intelligent. Because again, as you mentioned, it's those white supremacist narratives that have kind of created this within us. And so we have to, you know, we talk about, we say Black is beautiful and we say we're pro-Black, but if it's only a certain kind of Blackness, then we still have a lot of work to do, right? We say Black is beautiful, but not too Black, right? Uh, Not that Black. Um, And so that's part of what we have to address. Then the other thing that I mentioned, too, is we have to be honest that there is a a difference in how we walk through the world. And I think trying to make our experiences monolithic, trying to say that, oh, well, you're Black and I'm Black, and so our lives are exactly the same, is also impeding or hindering us from actually addressing the problem. Because we're kind of like putting a Band-Aid on it and trying to act like, oh, there's nothing going on. Don't look over here. Um, And I tell people that's like, you know, trying to win a football game without acknowledging that your quarterback is injured. Well, he's injured, but we'll just keep putting him in the game and act like nothing's wrong. And so I think for us to not be here a generation from now or two generations from now, we have to start acknowledging where we've been broken apart as a community and, and face it. Yeah, because, you know, I, I mentioned the crime, but it comes down to we don't do business with each other. We don't even like to share podcasts with other people because we don't. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, I mean, I mean, the purpose yeah. of you having you on, your, on this show is to, of course, is, you know, expand your audience and, and, and expand the conversation. But people are like, I don't want to talk about colorism. It's too painful. So I want to say this mm-hmm. and you can chime in as we go closer to the end of the show. I'm gonna, in fact, when we get to the end of the show, I'm going to have you close out the show, Dr. Webb. But do people, do people, do African-Americans, do we understand that the people who perpetuate colorism 
i.e. oh it's not i.e. perpetuate colorism and white supremacy which is basically the same and all that kind of stuff do we know they are the enemy the people who perpetuate colorism not are the enemy not Mm -hmm. each other do we understand that I don't think so because um, France France Fanon, right, who's uh, not African American, but he said something that I read in in school one day and it stuck with me. He said it's easier to fight your brother than to fight the master, so to speak, right? That's not his language at all. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But I think African Americans, through conditioning, right, this was intentionally done. And the the institution of slavery was highly effective in in making this happen, right? And in this kind of conditioning. But for less powerful people, it's easier to fight each other than to fight the power system itself. And so I think it's easier to blame other Black people. It's easier to blame ourselves because we haven't developed the courage or the audacity to really challenge the people who who are at the root cause of this. Dr. Sarah Webb, uh, you did both my podcasts. You're phenomenal. Hope people look you up, type you into the to the search engine and blah, 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 blah. They, you know what to do, people. But Dr. <laughs> Webb, Dr. Webb, close out the podcast with some either some books to read or some encouragement so we can start tackling, having us a honest conversation so we can end this colorism in our community and, of course, around the world. Yeah, so I have to recommend a website that I created called colorismhealing.com. And so I recommend that because there I give a whole list of books, a list of movies that people can watch, a list of questions that people can ask to start the conversation. Um, So I think what I'll say is not just a practical resource, but a, a task, a challenge, if you will, for anyone listening, is to go back to your families, go back to your churches, your schools, and say, hey, have y'all heard of colorism? How is colorism impacting or hurting our family? How is colorism, you know, creating problems in our school? And really start to acknowledge it openly and publicly. Have the courage to speak about it. I know it might be painful, but it's not, that pain isn't going to go away by staying silent. And I think that's what we have to remember. <laughs>